everyone, and welcome to the Filene Fill-In. I'm Holly Fearing with Filene. The Filene Fill-In is the podcast where we fill you in on what's been going on here at Filene's home base and out and about in the financial services world. On May 31st, 1989, Filene was officially incorporated as an organization, which means we are now celebrating 30 years of existence. In this interview with Filene's Chief Research and Development Officer, George Hofheimer, we talk about the past and future of Filene, George's take on the evolution of our work, and some of his favorite reports out of our nearly 500 over a 30-year spread. We also spend a good chunk of time exploring what outcomes and impacts have happened since the 90s and 2000s in the financial services industry, like state law changes that first started from ideas that emerged out of our research. George gives some origin stories on Filene I-3, the Cooperative Trust, and crash programs. He gives a preview of Filene's next Research Center of Excellence topics and events we have planned for you yet this year. And we attempt to settle the debate over whether it's pronounced Filene or Filene. At least we try to. Anyway you say it, we are proud to celebrate our 30th year and excited for what's to come in all the years ahead. Okay, so there are lots of Filene facts and gems in this one, folks. So take a listen. You never know what you might learn. Okay, George. Thanks for joining us to talk to us today about Filene's research. So Filene has a specific special milestone coming up this month, I believe, or was it just last month? It was just last month. All right. Well, what is that milestone? So on May 31st, 1989, were you born by then? Yes. Okay. Yes, I was. Uh, uh, we signed the Articles of Incorporation uh, and were officially uh notified that we were an official organization. So we're celebrating 30 years of existence here at Feline Research Institute. Feline is a millennial. We are a millennial right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, a youngish millennial. A mid? Mid-millennial. millennial Yeah. What is Feline feeling in their 30s now? You know, I've only been here for about half of the uh, existence of the organization, but I feel like we've we've gone through the phases that a typical person would go through, and uh, I like to associate it with where we've been physically. And for the first 15 years of our existence, we were, or actually 20 years of existence, we were living with mom and dad at mm-hmm. the CUNY Mutual campus. And then uh, about eight years ago, uh, when we were around 22, we moved out to a cool hip uh, structure and um, we're kind of on our own. It wasn't an extremely functional space. And now just a couple of years ago, we're kind of settling down. Uh, we're a much more mature organization and we're kind of in our first condo slash apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are roughly the phases that I can uh, associate with. So what do you foresee the decade ahead for Filene being like? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you follow the the traditional life cycle. It's like we're entering our prime borrowing year or borrowing years. That's the perspective of the credit union. But our prime earning years, um, and I don't mean it from a, an income perspective necessarily, but it's kind of where people tend to make their marks in their 30s and their 40s. Uh, where you have had enough experience and perspective to really uh, make impact on the world. So, uh, you know, we've had some success on impact uh, in the first 30 years, but I would imagine over the next 30 years, uh, we would have even more impact uh, in the world and and lives of consumers. Awesome. So I want to get your take on kind of what's been happening at Filene over the past 30 years. So let's talk about that a little bit and um, starting off with 
you know, we, we often talk about um, being focused on outcomes rather than just outputs here at Filene. So what are some of those outcomes that you're particularly proud of that we have been involved with over the last three decades? Yeah. Oh, so I should note, you know, the outputs of Feline are pretty impressive and it's a it's a jewel for the industry. Um, so we're getting close to around 500 specific mm-hmm. research reports for the benefit of credit unions. So while we don't focus on outputs as a, as a really important um, metric for the success of our organization, um, it is a contributing factor because mm-hmm. outputs leads to outcomes. Right. Um, so some of the outcomes that I think are really interesting and important are, are some of the older reports and research that we've done. Uh, one was a, a report done right after the Supreme Court ruling around credit union fields of membership in around 1998. There was a duo of professors from Michigan State University and one from here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and they released a report called An Analysis of Public Policy on Credit Union Select Employee Groups. Catchy title. Sounds super exciting. Uh, It is a simple five-page report, which I'm holding physically up here right Mm -hmm. now uh, that our podcast uh, viewers cannot see. But basically, it was an analysis of saying, hey, if the Supreme Court ruling holds, it would... Uh, not be a beneficial public policy for um, for society. So as a result of this report and the advocacy work of many, many people, uh, including many thousands of grassroots um, supporters of, of credit unions, uh, enabled the passage of H.R. 1151, which uh, enabled credit unions to grow and serve consumers uh, across the country. So, you know, when I think about some of the bigger impacts that you can definitely point to, you know, this five-page report and analysis definitely did not change the law, but it was a major contributing factor to it. And then if you look at some of the more recent uh, activities that, that we've been involved in, uh, right around the uh, turn of the millennia, Uh, around 2001, 2002, uh, we started looking at alternative financial services providers and the scourge of payday lending. And we did some research that just documented uh, what that looked like. And it was basically looking at the economics of payday lending. And a professor from Swarthmore University named John Kasky uh, really identified, hey, there's this alternative financial services sector that are providing a service to consumers, but at a very, very high cost. Um, So that research led into a program that was called Real Solutions that eventually was transferred over to the National Credit Union Foundation that encouraged and taught credit unions how to offer alternative financial products that consumers need, like payday lending, short-term dollar loans, um, all types of products, but at a more affordable rate. Uh, And uh, if you look today, there's many uh, hundreds of credit unions that are offering those services that are saving consumers millions and millions of dollars every year. Mm -hmm. So you're talking a little bit, getting into how also a big part of Filene's mission is enhancing financial inclusion. And we've done some work on that more recently as well. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how Filene has really kind of changed the state of financial inclusion over the last few decades for for the industry? Yeah. So um, some of the more recent activities that that we've been involved in are are incubators. Um, So around six years ago now, uh, we launched our first incubator, which was called the Alternative Financial Services Incubator. And uh, more recently, about three years ago, we launched the Reaching Minority Households Incubator. And both of those incubators had uh, a lot of things in common. And basically, it was identifying products 
that either credit unions or other service providers were offering that were very successful on a small scale. And then what we tried to do through research is test if they work in different contexts, like, hey, this product was launched in a geography that was more urban. What would it look like in a more rural area, a suburban area, or just a different part of the country? So you fast forward to the results and the outcomes of that work is that of those 10 products that we tested in both, both of those incubators, we've identified three or four uh, that have real ability to scale. And uh, right now what we're doing is we're working very closely with credit unions across the country to take those concepts and, and actually implement them. And uh, while I don't have specific figures on how many credit unions are utilizing this this product, I, I view it as a continuation of the real solutions work of, hey, number one, we're, we've raised awareness that this alternative financial services sector exists. And oh, by the way, there's some products that can help solve some of those consumer issues uh, that are good for consumers that financial institutions, credit unions can offer on a sustainable basis. And then number three, it's just really good uh, public policy to help support those programs. And the one one that, that I always get most excited about is a, a really simple concept that was pioneered by a, a credit union up in Burlington, Vermont, called North Country Federal Credit Union. And uh, it's a product they call Income Advance. The, the product itself is not innovative at all. It's basically a short-term small-dollar loan. Uh, but the real innovation is, is that the loan is issued through the HR department of select employee groups. Uh, or w within within employers uh, that have a relationship with the credit union. And then the loan is paid back through the paycheck of the borrower. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, you know, it, this, this product is not going to change the financial standing of credit unions. It's not going to enable them to grow by millions and millions of dollars. But on a micro basis, it's serving consumers that have a short-term small-dollar emergency. $500, $1,000, $1,500. And now through credit unions, we're able to kind of innovate and say, okay, somebody works in a factory, uh, their car breaks down, they want to keep their job, but the only way they can keep their job is if they can fix their car. So they go to the HR function at their, at their employer and say, I need $500. And the way that these loans have typically been underwritten is – are you an employee in good standing? That's the, pretty much the only question. And if so, no questions asked. I don't care what you're using that loan for. We're going to give you $500, and we're going to give you either six or 12 months to pay it back. Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at stuff like that, for uh, the Institute's ability to prove that these ideas are sustainable, that they're fair to consumers, and then they offer credit unions an opportunity to kind of grow into segments of the population that they haven't done a traditionally a, a great job of serving. That's the kind of impact that, that we're talking about. Can you explain more about what Filene's role is? Because it sounds like you're describing a really cool program that a credit union does, but did Filene do their initial research on that? Were they involved in building out the program? What is Filene's role in making that happen? So as everyone knows, we're a research institute. So that's our kind of magical power. So we have the ability to bring people together to say, hey, here's a concept that we want you to test, and we need you to collect data on that test. And then we're going to analyze the data and report it back to the industry in a compelling manner. So that's basically been our function uh, around these incubators and these product ideas is that, hey, there's a really clever idea. We think it's going to work, but we need industry help to test it to see if it actually does work. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned before, we tested 10 products in both of these incubators, and not all of them succeeded. Right. So that's part of the research process is for us to take that front end risk out of some of these concepts 
um, so that the industry at large uh, can benefit from them. And when we ask credit unions to test and collect data, um, we're not asking them to completely change their operation. We're asking them to issue a handful of loans um, and to give us a, a bit of data because we realize that in reality, it, it's hard to test new ideas in a regulated environment. Mm-hmm. And that example you're just sharing is um, a really great um, case study of like why research is important before testing and why at Filene it starts with research because it's widely known now that that statistic that, you know, 40 some percent of Americans can't come up with $400 in an emergency. And if you didn't know that statistic, you might not have jumped to the conclusion that that kind of loan would be desirable for employees through their employer. Um, That research cues you to that inkling and then the testing and the um, prototyping kind of sees it through. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think it's hard for people that develop policy and strategy for credit unions to to get their head around the fact that it's hard for a significant part of the population to obtain $400 in an emergency Mm -hmm. because that's not the life that they typically lead. Um, So that's one of our our goals as a research institute is to bring to the surface some of these issues and and, uh, quite honestly problems that are going on in society and uh, try and find ways that credit unions can help solve for them. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about innovation. Let's talk about it. It's such a buzzword, and innovation is something that we at Filene are really focused on and, and pride ourselves on being able to help credit unions be more innovative. But what do we mean when we say credit union innovation or innovative credit unions? What does that really look like? Yeah, um, there's so many definitions, but the one that that I think resonates with most people because it demystifies the concept of innovation is that you're solving problems in new and novel ways. That's it. That's all it is. It doesn't have to mean that you're developing a, a like a technology-enabled product. You know, it, it could be focusing in on a different process for how you share information with your members or your board of directors. It's simply coming up with new and novel ways of solving problems. Now, how you do it, you know, there is a process um, associated with it, and we call it the Feline method of innovation, which borrows from a variety of experts in the world of new product development, agile learning, uh, human-centered design, uh, and we take all of these concepts and put them into practice uh, for the realities of credit unions who live in a heavily regulated industry. So through our programs like the I3 program or working with individual credit unions where we take the I3 methodology and put it into practice in their own organizations, we're trying to teach credit unions how to fish, I guess, rather than give them a fish. Um, and uh, provide a a safe space for them to practice a a skill that traditionally has not been uh, highly valued in financial services. What are some examples of some cool credit union innovations you've seen over the years? Yeah, so um, I'll talk about one that is kind of the the one that we always point to from uh, ideas that have come out of I3, and that's uh, prize link savings or the product that is now known as Save to Win, uh, generally speaking, across the country. This was an idea that was pioneered uh, outside the United States, um, in the United Kingdom and in some Asian countries and Central American countries. And the whole idea is when someone saves money, rather than putting it into a financial institution and gaining interest back, instead of interest, you get a chance to win. So there's an insight there in that people love games of chance. You look at the uh, statistics in terms of the number of people that play the lottery 
And uh, if you were to ask them, hey, is this a good financial choice? They would probably say no, but I have a chance to win. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to take those concepts and put them into practice. And we were lucky enough to work with a researcher from Harvard Business School, a guy named Peter Tefano, who's now the, uh, the dean of the business school at Oxford University in the United Kingdom. Um, so he's kind of moving up in the world. I don't know where you go from there, from Harvard to Oxford. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe he'll be working at the Flynn Research Institute someday. <laughs> maybe. We, we never know. <laughs> so he had done some initial research with some colleagues that just documented, once again, so there's a pattern here is that he documented the research of what's going on in the world and why can't we do this here in the United States. And the question of why can't we do this here in the United States is that it was against the law. Mm-hmm. Credit unions at that time and banks at that time could not participate in what they called schemes of people putting money on deposit, not getting interest, but they getting a chance to win because it ran afoul of some uh, raffle laws and, mm-hmm. and uh, lottery systems as well. So that's a problem if it's against the law. That was a problem. We do not want people to participate in our programs and come up with new ideas and then end up in jail. Mm-hmm. That's like the last thing that yeah. we want to do. Those are not the kind of consequences that we want. Um, but we were able to, through, uh, once again, a research process, identify a wrinkle in the law in the state of Michigan for state chartered credit unions in Michigan that allowed for this type of product. Mm, so sneaky. We, so yeah, yeah, it was very sneaky. And uh, we had some sleuths from the legal community uh, find this out. So we kind of looked at that and said, Let's see if we can test this on a small basis in Michigan. So once again, it's following the same pattern. Research identifies the issue, brings uh, people uh, a little bit closer to understanding, hey, this is an opportunity. Now we need to test to see if it works because research alone is not going to move an industry. It's just a research paper. Mm -hmm. So taking those concepts and testing it in, I think it was 2008, um, we tested with uh, eight credit unions in the state of Michigan. And what we found out was, it was good for consumers, it was good for financial institutions, and it was a sustainable product to offer. We did another test in year two with around double the number of organizations that participated in it, found the same findings. The kind of people that were saving money with PrizeLink Savings were the kind of people that traditionally had not been engaged in savings. So it was helping to solve for a socioeconomic problem. And then um, from that research uh, is kind of when we stepped out of the game and allowed another nonprofit that was called Doorways to Dreams, but now they're called Commonwealth, take that concept on and start to commercialize it. Because Feline, we're not really into the commercialization side of things. Mm-hmm. We're just on the research side of things. And they've worked with the um, uh, Michigan Credit Union League and their service corps to really enable this product to thrive. And then along the way, uh, some of the advocacy groups like CUNA and the state leagues said, hey, this is a great idea. Why is it just Michigan that Mm -hmm. gets to do this? And if you kind of fast forward today, uh, there are 17 states that are participating in a save to win or prize link savings type of program, around 200 credit unions representing about 40,000 accounts and about $67 million that are saved. So Mm -hmm. you start with a kernel of an idea in I3, you put people through the process from a research perspective, you test it on a limited basis, and then it's kind of a go-no-go type of situation. And in this case, it was very much a go situation. Mm -hmm. And was it largely credit unions that were pushing the issue in their individual states to get those laws changed? Yeah, it was largely the credit union community that did that. And in some states where the law has been changed, um, it enables banks as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I think, a really important distinction is even though we are pretty much funded 100% by the credit union system and the industry, is that we focus in on the consumer need. Mm -hmm. And we focus in on the consumer need through credit unions. But 
if there's a great idea that's great for consumers and a bank wants to take it on, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of our role as a nonprofit organization to say we don't want to put limits on that. And you are involved in testifying for the Wisconsin law to change on that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Went uh, a few blocks up the street from our office to the Capitol, and I w- had to testify uh, on that. And then eventually it was not because of me, but it was because mm-hmm. of the, the great work of the Wisconsin Credit Union League and their advocacy folks. But it was a contributing factor to say, hey, this is the landscape of prize link savings across the states. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a no-brainer. This helps consumers save that typically haven't saved. So here's the evidence. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool, though, to be able to say that you kind of were around when the seed of the idea was born. And then fast forward, there you are sitting in a chair in front of lawmakers testifying for this law to be changed because of it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. The only bummer is I had to get dressed up. <laughs> yeah. But what are you going to do? <laughs> Maybe you can change a law about having to get dressed up. When that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> so you mentioned um, I3 a couple of times. And anyone who follows Filene today knows about our communities, I3 and the Cooperative Trust. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, I don't think that those existed on day one when Filene was born. So what was their trajectory and how did those communities come to be? Yeah, so... Um, I only know the lure of, uh, of the I3 creation, but my understanding was um, our research council, which is made up of CEOs, was meeting, and uh, the topic of innovation came up. And the lore is that someone stood up in the room and said, hey, you know what? The innovation is not happening in this room with the CEOs. It's happening on that next level down. And we need to train and teach people how to become innovators within the credit union system. So that was kind of the spark that that led it. And uh, I think we're entering our 14th cycle of I3ers. And what has started as a group of individuals that were trained to come up with innovative concepts has really just blossomed into uh, a program where we still teach those methods and provide people an opportunity to come up with new and novel concepts that will push the industry forward. What we've learned is it's also a very, very strong professional development program. Of the three or 250, 300 people that have been through the program, a significant portion have become CEOs. Mm-hmm. And we have to worry about cause and correlation because the people that are accepted into the program are really high-performing individuals. Uh, but to the person that have been through the program and have become CEOs, uh, we've heard anecdotally that the I3 program has been a transformational program for them just in terms of a new skill set that they can bring to the table um, Mm -hmm. as they lead an organization. And they're staying in the credit union industry and becoming leaders there rather than becoming leaders elsewhere. So that's That's right. It's cool too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and some of the some of the I three alumni have gone on to become CEOs of groups outside the credit union or financial services industry. They really got Mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial and innovation bug, which to, to, to us, it's a really good outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing that they've strayed outside right. uh, of the credit union system. Yeah. And the the cooperative trust, that's just about, what, a 10 or 11, 11 years old now? Mm-hmm. Seems like a long time. I feel like it's not that long, but yeah. So tell us about, like, the journey of from where it started to where it is today, the short version maybe, because I think we've heard the the Brent Dixon version, but you can you can touch on that for those who don't know. <laughs> yeah, it actually started with our current CEO, Mark Meyer, when he was much younger. Um, now he's old and gray and losing <laughs> his hair and all of that kind of stuff like the rest of us. But um, he started a program called Cool Solutions, 
which once again was a research program that tried to raise the awareness of the fact that credit unions were doing a poor job of serving the next generation of consumers. We saw the demographic wave coming of the millennial generation. You know, at that time, 10 years ago, they weren't quite in the financial services system. But barring some sort of uh, outbreak that only affected people in their teens and uh, 20s and, and younger, we knew that there was going to be this huge generation coming on board, and we wanted to be able to prepare credit unions for it. So we did this whole research program called Cool Solutions. We probably released about 25 different research products that kind of warned people and raised the awareness, hey, this demographic shift is coming. And then um, around 10 years ago, we said, we don't need to do research anymore. We need to do something about mm -hmm. it. So uh, we created this program called the Cooperative Trust, whose main uh, initiative is to engage credit union employees that are deemed young professionals, and we define that as under the age of 35, and involve them a little bit more in the industry. Uh, because the idea from the research that we discovered was the best way to be relevant to the next generation is to tap the next generation that's already working in your institution. So the best way that we saw that that could happen was through programs like a mentorship program. Hey, can we match uh, young professionals with experienced professionals so that they can learn from that? Uh, can we provide uh, a network for people to exchange information? And then the signature is this program that's called the CRASH program mm -hmm. um, that invites young professionals that typically would not have the dollars to attend industry events. And we provide basically free attendance uh, to these major events uh, sponsored by groups like CUNA and CUNA Mutual and Visa, uh, where young professionals can come to events like the GAC or big national events or really intimate events, but where a lot of decision makers are and learn more about the industry. Uh, because the idea is that, hey, if I'm a 25-year-old and I'm a member service rep, but I'm a high potential person, wouldn't it be great if we could provide them uh, a view of the landscape of, hey, you know, financial services is a great industry. Credit unions are really unique players within that industry. So, Let's introduce you to the people. Mm -hmm. Let's introduce you to the decision makers. Let's talk to them about how they got to where they are. So they attend the conference as usual, but then we provide specific uh, crash sessions that are a little bit more intimate. So um, it's a really exciting program, and uh, you know I think it helps represent the future of the industry and, and kind of keeps the flame alive. Yeah, there's tons of opportunities to get involved with crash too, and I'm starting to see kind of the entire credit union career trajectory can be mapped out through Filene's opportunities for engagement through um, cooperative trust and crash events and mentoring crash events and I3 and mentoring I3 and then we have research council and then we have our board. So kind of if you want to go all in on Filene, there's opportunities for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's career advancement is never a straight line, but hopefully we've created a path for people to go from cooperative trust to I3 to research council and eventually our board. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really interesting too. Uh, we're starting to see right now some of our original cooperative trust folks becoming CEOs. That's cool. And you look at someone like Ronaldo Hardy, who was one of our original crashers. He's a CEO down in Louisiana. Um, there's another guy named, I think it's Mike Armstrong uh, down in Arkansas, who's mm -hmm. the CEO as well of a smaller institution. But it's really exciting to watch the career progression of these uh, folks that, you know, 10 years ago, they were pretty new in their careers. Yeah. And I suspect that'll happen more and more as the program ages. Yeah, I would hope so. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you get a question a lot about what the heck Filene does, but there's one that I always hear and it's around 
you know, we, we talk about incubation now and I get questions from time to time around like, are you guys like chicken farmers now on the side too, which we're not. Um, so can you explain what it is for us when we say that we're incubating th things? Yeah, it gets really confusing because first, sometimes people um, misrepresent our name and call us the Feline Research Institute. <laughs> and then they hear we're incubating and then everyone knows that cats are mammals, so they don't lay eggs, so it gets very complicated. <laughs> so besides that, when we talk about incubation, um, it's it's basically the same type of process that we did with the incubators that I talked about before as it relates to reaching minority households or um, alternative financial services. Um, and it's basically about identifying products that show some really strong promise but are a little bit risky or a little bit speculative. So some of the ideas that we're working with right now is one is through uh, CMFG Ventures, which is the ventures group associated with Kina Mutual, and they invest capital and dollars into um, some of these startups. And some of these startups have really clever ideas, but we don't know if they work quite yet. So uh, you know, we're working with a, a variety of concepts that um, test these ideas in a real setting to say to the company and to the ventures group hey, this idea shows promise, but here are the questions that people have from a consumer perspective or ideas that people have from a credit union strategy perspective. Mm -hmm. So I know that research has been kind of your main gig here at Filene mm -hmm. over at least the last 10-ish years. How long have you been at Filene? Okay. I, I, I'm pleading the fifth. <laughs> okay. Well, it's been at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so you've probably seen that the way Filene conducts research, releases research, and shares research change over the years. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about where that used to be and what we're doing today? Yeah. So when I first started out in the industry in 1998, um, the reports, which were then called monographs, were... Oh, um, I never knew that. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Monograph. I don't even know what a monograph is. Yeah. It's like, what's, is it like kind of like a polygraph, but only one graph? I don't know. <laughs> Can anyway. we bring that back? I kind of <laughs> like that. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, uh, and they were, they were actually printed and mailed to people. Mm -hmm. And when I was starting out, and at that time I was working for a credit union executive society, and one copy was sent to the CEO, and the CEO was generally the gatekeeper. And thankfully, the CEO of Q's at that time was a guy named Fred Johnson, and he shared the research widely. And I found it really interesting, just because I'm a curious person. And around uh, 15 years ago, when I started here, uh, we did not have a functional website where we could share things. Um, you could order the <laughs> monographs online, but you had wow. to fax it in. <laughs> Um, oh, wow. So, you know, fast forward from 15 years to today, um, we still, you know, issue the research in the traditional sense through a white paper, but we obviously offer it in a variety of formats. And some of the things that we're really focused in on is not just the process of the research, but really talking specifically about the implications. Uh, and how we share those implications is the, really the thing that's changed. Um, so we do stuff like this. We do podcasts all the time. Uh, talking with the researchers and kind of getting a little bit deeper and three-dimensional into the implications of the research. But then we also do stuff like we create workbooks for people like, hey, this is a research about um, how you might market better to this segment. And then we provide a workbook for credit unions to actually take that practice and put it into their own organization. We also offer infographics um, and uh, a variety of other outputs that help people digest the information and understand what they can do with it. Mm-hmm. And where do you see 
this going into the future? I know the research team is kind of talking about what's next for the white paper concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there'll always be a need for a white paper just to prove to people that this is not just marketing fluff. Mm -hmm. Nothing against marketing. (laughs) I just just remember that, that you're our head of marketing and communications. I don't mean it like that. But I mean, you know, there are so many groups out there that a lot of people could classify as a charlatan, but they do really great marketing and they Mm -hmm. make it snazzy. But then when you look and ask questions like, okay, you make this claim, what's behind this claim? You know, for us as a research institute, it's super important for us to be able to point to the actual Mm -hmm. work that went behind it. But, you know, going forward, I think we're going to focus more and more on the outcomes of of this work and the impact that this work can have and spending a lot more time on these kind of derivative outputs uh, that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. No, I super appreciate that. I think that's important as a marketer that it makes marketing's job easier when the product is high quality and has integrity so that we don't have to be sleazy marketers and <laughs> um, we're not selling something that isn't real. So yeah. I think. And then, you know, another area where we've had a lot of success in the past few years and more recently is our events. Mm-hmm. The events are a really unique opportunity for people to really dive into the research findings and then have in that same room some of these leading thinkers on specific topics. They may not be experts in credit unions, but they may be experts on talent development. Mm -hmm. They may be people from a different industry that have had success in a problem which credit unions are currently facing. So that's really, um, I think, where we're going to find a lot of benefit. Mm -hmm. And we have a couple of cool events coming up in this 30th year of our existence still. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to be in Harvard in August. In September, we're going to be at the University of Texas talking about consumer issues and the war for talent. And then later this year, November, we're going to be in uh, Durham, North Carolina uh, at our Big Bright Minds. And that's kind of like the big ideas festival for credit unions. That's the big party for Filene. It's the big party. Yeah. Awesome. So do you have a favorite research report? Well, um, I'm going to break it out into the old, old timers Mm -hmm. and then kind of the recent, but not so recent past. And then my newest one. Okay. You know, I would say um, my favorite report is one that I referenced earlier, which is like this very simple report that we talked about. It's the, you know, the analysis of policy on credit union select employee groups, because the impact that this very small piece of research had on the future of the industry was outsized. Um, so it's not the most eloquent prose in the world. It's not the most beautifully yeah. designed. It's we're, got a we're nice kind of shade of it. khaki on the cover. It does. It's got a khaki cover. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, just the fact that it had so much impact. Mm-hmm. The second one that I would say, and this is actually not a research report, but it was uh, during the financial crisis. We were going through archives of some of our older materials and just trying to figure out and make sense of, you know, hey, has the Institute ever lived through something like the the great financial crisis before or a recession and what were some of the things? And during that research, we actually came across a, a book that was published in the 1930s and it was called Speaking of Change. And it was a collection of uh, speeches that Ed Feline, our namesake, Uh, made in the 1920s and 1930s and leading up to the Great Depression and during the Great Depression. And what really struck me at the time was that the stuff that he was talking about in the 20s and 30s was more relevant today than anyone could ever have imagined. So Mm -hmm. we took those speeches in that book and uh, republished it into a hardcover book 
And uh, the feedback that we've gotten just from an inspiration perspective from the industry was super positive. And I think it's super important for us to say, hey, as we incubate new ideas, come up with innovative methodologies and research the next best thing, it's super important for us also to recognize our legacy and the mm -hmm. thinking that occurred that created all of this stuff. So. That's cool. What way was it relevant? What do you mean by what so, he said then? You know, just talking about issues related to strategy and uh, the need for affordable financial services for everyday consumers. Right. So we haven't solved that yet. We haven't quite solved that yet. I mean, access is there. Mm -hmm. Anyone can get a loan anytime. Mm -hmm. But the question is, what role do credit unions play in that? And how can it tilt the scales a little bit more in the favor of consumers? Mm -hmm. So. You know, it's, it's a reminder that despite all of the great work that people have been doing over the, you know, the past almost 100 years now, um, there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is one that we just released with our new head of research, Taylor Nelms. At the time, he was a postdoctoral researcher at UC Irvine, uh, but he wrote the uh, Credit Union of the 21st Century along with a guy named Stephen Ray. We call him Stevie Ray. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it really provides such a clear and important framework for understanding the future that credit unions may find themselves in and then the levers that they can push and pull to be successful into the future. So I think it's a text that every credit union should read before their strategic planning sessions or just read in general. And I think it will increase their IQ uh, about the future. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the future, what's the one thing that you're most excited about that Filene is going to be soon embarking on in the next couple of years? Holographs. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm so excited for <laughs> holographs. <laughs> um, no, you know, the, I think the really exciting thing for us right now is um, our current centers of excellence are about to sunset over the next six to 18 months. Um, and these are topics that we identified six years ago that were important to the future of the industry. And it's not like the, these topics are unimportant going forward, but new issues and topics have come up. So around the first of next calendar year, 2020, uh, we will be looking at a variety of new topics and areas that we're going to be focusing in on. Um, I'll give you a few, but I'll, I'll leave a few out mm -hmm. so that people can kind of... It's a mystery. Yeah. It's like, that's marketing, right? You yep. just want to share a little bit, but not everything. Mm -hmm. um, so the two that uh, I think are, are the most exciting and uh, are definitely really important for credit unions one is around diversity, equity, and inclusion. How do the practices of diversity, equity, inclusion matter to credit unions, both from a consumer, an employee, and board perspective? Um, so we're going to be diving into that topic for a very long time period because credit unions have the ability uh, to lead the financial services industry in that arena. Mm -hmm. uh, the second is data analytics. So very different than diversity, equity, inclusion, but there's you know a specific practice around emerging technology, and that is um, data analytics and how can credit unions leverage the data that they have to improve the performance of their organization and better serve consumers. So those are two of the centers of excellence that we're going to be opening up within the next six to 18 months, and then there's going to be three others. Stay tuned to find Stay out tuned. what those are. Okay, so one really important question. I hear people say both filling and filing. Yes. What is the real pronunciation? So we always say the market will decide. Mm -hmm. So, and what we've heard from the family members of Edward Feline is that Feline is the proper way to pronounce it. Filene is, I think, 
the common uh, pronunciation because of people that have had Filene's Basement, mm. uh, the retail store, right. um, in their in their communities, and it just is kind of part of. But it's all part of his. It's his family that did Filene's Basement as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I don't, I think that this will be one of the world's uh, unsolved mysteries. Yeah. I think it's easier to say filing. So I don't know why. Okay. That's just kind of what comes out. So we got one vote for filing. But got you one say filing. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually like, I like that it can be either way. Yeah. In the comment section of this podcast, give us <laughs> yeah. your, give us your vote. Yeah. Definitely. We'll uh, we'll do a research report and just do like a nationwide st- like tally and figure out which one, what the percentage is. Let's do it. Okay, cool. All right. Anything else that you wanted to mention that we didn't discuss today? Not really. I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, I think the most important thing that people should think about when they think about ph- Feline, not Feline, <laughs> have a hard Feline. Time saying it. <laughs> is that we were created 30 years ago to be a resource for the industry. And our model is business to business to consumer. And we're funded by the generosity of credit unions and all of the supporting organizations in credit unions. And we take those funds to try and improve the lives of consumers. Um, so if you kind of think about it in that frame, thinking about us as someone or an organization that cares deeply about the health of consumers and the fact that we are a resource for this industry and for individual organizations, um, we want you to use us. Uh, we want you to call on us, contact us, and we have this wonderful 30-year history of conducting research for the benefit of credit unions and consumers. And the last thing that we want is for the research to just sit on a shelf or sit on a website. We want you to use it. So, Word. Word. I like it. Mic drop, pencil drop. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of this information. And I think I learned something about Filene, so hopefully others did too. Can I ask you a question? I'm going to flip oh. the... Oh, yeah, f- sure. So what we'll do you, just cut this out. What do, you, what, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think the biggest impact uh, Feline has had? Because you, you know, you're fairly new here, mm-hmm. but you've been interacting with Feline for a number of years in other roles. What, what do you think the biggest impact is? Um, I think that I've been hearing more and more from credit unions that use our research for the foundation of the work that they do. I literally just heard, it made my heart sing. Um, Yesterday, we had a credit union group in here and somebody said, we asked the question, do you guys go to Filene's website and and look at our research reports? And And he said, Filene is my homepage. And uh, I thought that was really cool. And I've heard that more and more that um, when credit unions are looking to solve a problem, there's many, many financial issues that they need to be aware of more so every day, every year. And I love to know that Filene is on their go-to list for support and that there's a reputation of Filene now that people are thinking um, you know, if this has been done before, maybe Filene has some research on it or some information on it. So that's, I think, what I've been seeing more in the last five, six years. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All right. Any more questions? What's your favorite color? <laughs> Can you guess? Uh, purple. <laughs> yeah. That's an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, what's your favorite uh, sports team? Mm, my favorite sports team, probably, um, you know, I would say it's more for the, the sports fans of this team, Chicago Bears. Oh, we're done. They're savage. We're done. We're done. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> All right. It's been nice knowing you. Nice knowing you. <laughs> Okay, thanks, though, for, for all of this. It's been good. Thank and you. Um, yeah, we will be back with uh, more filing knowledge on the next episode. Can't wait. All right. All right, that's it for the fill-in, folks. Thanks again for listening. And thank you, George, for sharing all these awesome behind-the-scenes stories about Filene. If you're interested in learning more about the research, events, or programs that George talks about, visit filene.org or check out the links here in the show notes. If you like this episode, please do rate us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And make sure you're subscribed to the Filene Fill-In Podcast so you can keep up with what's going on at Filene. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch about today's show, email me at hollyf at filene.org or find us on Twitter at Filene Research. Until next time, thanks everyone.